and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 219. I'm your host, Brian Williams. This is Adam. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the last three episodes of Voyager's fourth season called Demon 1 and Hope and Fear. Here we go. Demon, Season 4, Episode 24, Production Code 192, Original Air Date, May 6, 1998, Directed by Anson Williams, Story by Andre Bormanis, Teleplay by Kenneth Biller, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Alexander Enberg as Ensign Boric and Susan Lewis as Transporter Technician. With their deuterium supplies dwindling, Captain Janeway orders the crew of Voyager to reduce power consumption to minimal levels, traveling in impulse power and confining the crew to a few decks. Seven of nine detect signs of deuterium on a nearby planet, but Chakotay quickly identified as a demon-class planet, hostile to living creatures due to its high surface temperature and toxic atmosphere. A compound that sampled Harry's DNA and created you? Yes. But it's never been conscious, never sentient. Before now, before me and the other. Tom, Paris. We're the first. Don't you see? You came here. You showed us. When the compound came in contact with Tom and Harry, it experienced awareness for the first time. Okay, Demon. Uh, Steve, why don't you start us on Demon? Um, not the biggest fan of this one. Um, I think for a variety of reasons. it's. I get kind of bored with it. Um, I think it's convoluted it feels a little uh farcical at times um it also feels very isolated you know it's like out of nowhere they're running low on power we didn't know this was coming i don't know how separated this is from the episode before it or after it or whatever but it just all of a sudden they're so desperate that everything's shutting down and you know they're just about out of gas or whatever um and then I don't. I don't know. There's just this kind of silliness to this one. I don't think it's supposed to be silly, but it's. It just feels like. Yeah. I don't know. It's even to the point where some of the some of the language and what people say doesn't feel right. You know, almost like this is in a vacuum or something. This whole episode, but. Um, I mean, it's certainly memorable. I do remember this whole deal and the. You know, these these aren't the real Kim and Paris and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, you know, and, and this that kind of thing has been touched on before in other episodes, I think. But uh, I don't know. That's that's my take on it. I'll say that I like off the bat is just the idea that, you know, it's awful coincidental that we always seem to just run into, you know, class M planets. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of nice for a change to see something that isn't class M to see us actually go to a not class M, but Mm -hmm. you know, for as much as they talk about how inhospitable it is, once they're actually down there, it doesn't seem so bad. I mean, it kind of seems like, just make sure you got your suit on. You'll be all right. Uh, Adam, your first thoughts. I would agree with Steve. It's not a great episode. I think this episode suffers from the time that it was made in. One of the things that I kind of noticed, you know, they, um, you know, this demon-class planet, and what I first think of is kind of like Venus. And they go down there. It's really not that scary. It looks like pretty much any other planet they're on, but with this some red skies. So I think this this episode probably suffers from the time that it was made and probably, you know, the budget that they had. It, they, it was an interesting idea going to a planet like this because, you know, I mean, you don't, we don't get to see, you know, all we see is kind of like M-class planets where they can go down and they can run around and do whatever. 
Um, so, you know, you don't, you know, probably vast majority of planets are unhospitable. And so it was an interesting idea to kind of have a planet like this and explore it. But I mean, it doesn't look cool at all. Maybe if they did, maybe if they had like a demon planet today, they could do a lot better job with, um, you know, obviously technology and cost efficiency is, is a lot better and you could have better effects and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think this episode, um, not only from what, Steve mentioned, but it also suffers from it. Just it looks really dated. It looks kind of like a B science fiction or a C science fiction show. Just kind of what they're trying to do, and it just doesn't. It just doesn't show up that well. Um, I like the idea, you know, and and what Steve was saying, you know, it's like oh, all of a sudden they're out of gas. Um, I think maybe if they would have, I mean, I, I like that idea. You're out in the middle of the Delta Quadrant. Um, you know, you've got no, you know, you could go weeks to months without running into a, a planet for supplies and stuff like that. So I kind of like that idea. I just don't think they did a very good job with this and setting it up and having a good story to kind of deal with like, um, you know, loss of supplies or fuel or anything like that. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with you guys. I, I thought there were a couple of cool ideas in this episode, but you know, this idea of the biomimetic or whatever, like the fancy goo that, that copies, I don't know. It reminded me of something from Next Gen, even. Yeah, there was an episode with Crusher, and it was some kind of thing mimicked a dog or something. I don't remember yeah, something like I remember that. that. Yeah, I mean that moment with um, Torres's thumb or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, I mean that's kind of interesting. I, I don't think that was enough to base the episode on. It seemed like a stretch if if Tom and Harry were in such bad trouble and. How, how were they just laying there for even more time than we thought? And then they find their, I don't know, that that was a little bit confusing. Well, like I said, I i like the idea of them finally going to something other than a Class M planet, but it doesn't seem that inhospitable. It's not that. Uh, I also thought it was a little bit weird, like the end. Would that many people have been just okay with, I'm assuming Janeway gave people a choice. Would you like to have somebody copy you and be here? With you, I mean, would that many? Would every? So everybody had no issue with that. That seemed a little. It looked like the majority or something. Yeah, because we see everybody on the planet there. It seems like that would have been a conversation. Heck, you could have done an entire episode about that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Now I do remember. I don't remember how much longer it is, but the follow-up episode to this episode, I remember kind of liking that one and thinking that one made this episode worth it. Like if we had to have this one to get that other one. Oh, right, right. I can't remember what the other one was called, but I, th- I feel like maybe it's the next season. Maybe it's just a year away. I don't know. I, I guess I just, I, I like some ideas, but I didn't like the realization of any of them. And I thought felt like they were never more than the sum of their parts. Yeah, I guess I don't have a lot to say on this. Is this episode about anything? No. <laughs> Adam? Um, What would this episode be about? Um about conserving your supplies properly and not ever wanting to room with the doctor. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess kind of if you wanted to get into maybe what something like this episode was about, it's about, you know, and it's kind of a stretch and they don't spend as much time on it, but there's, you know, that little scene in the, you know, in the transporter room with Janeway and, um, you know, the, the duplicate um, Harry Cam, you know, where they're talking about um, sentient life and, that was interesting, but I don't really think they touch on that enough in this episode to say that that that's you know about you know life becoming conscience and that kind of thing. Um, 
to give that to give that much weight to this episode. But I mean, that's a little something that they were trying to say. I think that's another thing that would have made for a more interesting episode if just that concept that this was the moment when it achieved sentience. I don't know. Instead of yeah. just being a line, if that had been the episode, I, I don't know. Yeah, it seems pretty monumental, and it's all just brushed over, and yeah. And then, and then the notion of what is, um, what are the, what are the rights of a sentient being? You know, they're saying, well, we need, we we're lonely, so you know, we need we need you guys. You know, okay, well, where do you draw the line? And yeah. Well, they need an episode in season five. <laughs> don't they do this? Don't they? Don't they come right. back to this? Is it in season right, five or right, six? Right. I don't know. Maybe maybe Brian will ask us. Yeah, that's what I was talking about a minute ago. Yeah. Let's do six degrees for demon. Adam. Yes. Kim talks about his history on Voyager, and he mentions. By the way, the silver goo did make another appearance, but I chose not to ask. Uh, Kim talks about his history on Voyager, and he mentions that he has fought the Borg and helped defeat the Herosian. Name either of the two parters he could be referring to. Um, crap. I don't know. You can have it, Steve. Scorpion? Yep. Would you, have, you remember the recent Herogen two-parter? Um, you already got the point. The killing game? Yeah, that was it. Uh, Steve, Kim mentions he has been turned into an alien and been brought back from the dead. Name either of those episodes he's referring to. Which are much more difficult. Yeah. Um, I would not even remember these titles. <laughs> I'll know when I hear it, but I'm not going to come Yeah, you will. Adam? I have no idea. Favorite Son and Favorite Son was the one with um, Terminator 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Emanations. Mm. Which right. that one I remember just That's the what they called it, the Emanation. Right, right, right. Exactly, yeah. All right, Steve has one. Moving on. One, season four, episode 25, production code 193. Original air date, May 13th, 1998. Directed by Kenneth Biller, written by Jerry Taylor, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Ron Ostro as Borg Drone and Wade Williams as Trajuslo Tarek. The crew of Voyager reaches a Matura class nebula in their path towards home. As they start to enter it, the entire crew begins to suffer from intense pain. Only Seven and Nine is unaffected. Realizing that they cannot withstand the subatomic radiation emanating from the nebula for the month it would take to cross, they consider traveling around it, which would take an additional year to clear. The doctor proposes a novel solution, to place the crew safe for himself and Seven in stasis, allowing them to cross the nebula safely. Captain Janeway agrees, and soon the crew is safely stowed into stasis chambers. Personal log 7 of 9, stardate 51929.3. This is the tenth day of our journey through the Mutara Nebula. I have created an efficient daily routine. I certainly think this is the best episode that we're talking about today, in my opinion. Um, There's some things about it that don't work as well as others, but for the most part, I think it works pretty well, and I think it's a testament to jerry ryan's acting she's pretty great here i'm sure we're gonna get into that so uh adam why don't you start us on one um yeah brian i would definitely agree with you it's the best of the three today i i like this episode and enjoyed it um 
um, partly because it's the simplicity of it. I mean, you know, you, you think of Voyager, usually, you know, they're going up against the Borg or, you know, some other alien creature, you know, is usually the foe or the, you know, antagonist in an episode. And in this episode, it's kind of a two-parter. It's um, it's kind of nature. You know, you have this nebula, which is an interesting idea. You're traveling through space. Obviously, you're going to run into some um, obstacles along the way that aren't necessarily um, hostile aliens. They could be um, forces of nature. So, I mean, this is kind of the closest thing to, a, you know, a, a storm on the sea that they, they kind of have to deal with. So I, I like the simplicity of that idea on, on an obstacle that that is is nat- that is from nature, I guess you could say. Um, and, you know, the second part of it, you know, that's a, it's almost like psychological. You know, the other part of the antagonist of this is, is kind of the mind, you know, seven, you know, having to be by herself for this extended period of time. And, you know, that's kind of doubly probably tough for her coming from the collective where, you know, there's millions or trillions of voices, you know, going through her conscience or mind at a single time. And then she goes to human where she's amongst a group and, she, you know, and then just going to just her. And then on top of that, you have all the systems and her system is kind of degrading, making her hallucinations worse. So um, it's, it's a simple idea and it's kind of almost a psychological thriller. Um, uh, it, it's kind of scary at times, but then again, it's kind of at the end, it's kind of simple because you kind of realize like, Oh, this is all, all in her head and it's just a mental thing. And it's kind of like trying to beat the clock. Cause it's like, you know, okay, can we keep all the systems running long enough to get out of the nebula? So, um, and I agree, Jerry Ryan did a great job and um, yeah. Um, I totally enjoyed this episode. Steve? Yeah, I don't think I have a whole lot to add to it. I also thought this was pretty good. And um, I agree that her acting is great. And I also think it's it just kind of shows how how this how this character's, you know, just you know, set off a spark really in this series too, because, you know, you get to the point by this time here, late in the fourth season that you feel like, you know, her at least as well, if not better than the other characters, you know, these, these, these stories that, that flesh her out. And, you know, you learn about what makes her tick and what's going on inside her and so on. And, and yeah, she's, um, the acting is great as well. And so, um, yeah, I, I think this is a, this is a really good episode. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where you're, you're reminded, bringing a new character a few into the show a few seasons in it can really you know reinvigorate or invigorate <laughs> you know you think about uh michael dorn coming in halfway into ds9 or even the last season of ds9 with nicole replacing terry farrell you know and it really gets their writing juices going and can be a really healthy thing for a show and yeah you know that that moment when because yeah you think about it like going from the collective to voyager and and then then in this episode it's just her and the doctor you know she's fewer and fewer but at least she's got the doctor and then there's that moment when she loses the doctor and she's truly all alone and she she's great in that moment but she looks truly legit frightened she's and she's says like no Mm -hmm. you know um i felt for her good the only the only kind of minor complaint i have is i don't know that the alien was all that effective or that he even had much of a point i mean i guess he's supposed to be a hallucination i think if you're going to have her have that vivid of a hallucination there's probably something more interesting you could do i think past i think it worked up until the point where you know when the doctor kind of explains to her hey you're hallucinating you're seeing these things and after that it kind of it kind of to me it kind of lost its gravity if you will 
they probably could have just dropped it and just had just all sorts of, I think it worked better with her just, you know, seeing crew members, people on fire instead of having him keep coming back, taunting her. What did you think of the alien storyline thing, Steve? Yeah, I, I I agree. It's it was it wasn't awful, but it's kind of you know what you know what his voice reminds me of. It sounds like he's trying to imitate that actor who did like the haunted mansion, you know, that's in the haunted mansion yeah. ride. You know, because it gets so kind of over the top, sinister at some point. You know, late in it, it's like you know, uh, you know, it was, it was almost comical or something. Well, it would have been great if he'd said a line like uh, "What would you said." Is that really? <laughs> I guess another part of it, he was, he was like, it was like sexually creepy. It was like, hey, you want to have dinner? We can spend some time. You know, it was more like a really cheesy pickup line that I was throwing yeah. at her. And then when you find out this is in her head, I'm like, well, where's this coming from? Yeah, yeah. I think that this is, um, it's just a good solid idea. Yeah, I think more than anything, it's it's such a good idea for an episode too. You know, it's simple and it's straightforward, not too complicated. It's one of the things that makes it effective. You know, and you think about you know, I I I was watching this episode and I'm like, you know, I'm surprised that they hadn't gone to this before. Well, and I think the reason I thought about it, they hadn't gone to this before, you know, that might have been that might have popped in my head because of demon you know they're all the power shortages and stuff like that you know you would think at times it might be a good idea to you know to put 30 people to sleep just to save power consumption here and there um i don't know i'm you know that idea you know when you're on this on this voyage that could last forever you know there might be times where you might have to go into some deep sleep like that hmm. you know i'm usually a I'm almost always, I, I prefer to not have flashbacks. I prefer just, just give me the story straight up. I don't like, you know, if you're going to start in media mm-hmm. stress and then have flashbacks, I generally would prefer you not do that. I gave up on that TV show Lost because it was like, I would watch an episode and I feel like two minutes of screen time advanced because every second, <laughs> you know, that's an extreme example of a show that I just personally had a hard time with. This episode one is one of the few times where I could have seen them starting with her alone in the ship already, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I, maybe we didn't need to have as much of the rest of our crew. Cause there's, you know, a good opening of the episode for, for a while, the beginning of the episode where everyone's still there and they're figuring out what to do and stuff. I feel like we could have probably gotten to just her by herself quick, more quickly, or even just started with her by herself. Yeah. A good solid episode. Um, what's it about? Well, you know, it's obviously a lot of this episode um, moves Seven and Nine's character forward. You know, we begin the episode, you know, with her and the doctor in the holodeck, and she's learning these social skills, and she's terrible at it, really. I mean, terrible at it. And by the time that we get to the end of the episode, that you can see that she's opened up, and then she's at the end of that episode, she actually felt gen. It felt genuine. She wasn't just going there to to sit and talk with the other with um Taurus and. Tom, just because she felt like she had to, it felt like that she really wanted to be there and she was actually engaged. So part of this episode, the, what's great about this episode has how much it moves um, Seven and Nine's character forward. Um, she starts to open up just even a little bit more to her humanity and making connections with people. So a lot of that, I think, is about this episode. And also, you can look at the psychology of the mind, you know, what's really going on under intense pressure and strain, you know, like what fear can do to you and like I said, stress, and I think that says a lot about this this episode and like how you overcome it. Um, 
and, and how she overcame it. So that's kind of what I took about from this episode, what it was about. Yeah. I mean, she, uh, she kind of minimizes the effect of being alone, what that would have on her. You know, she thinks she's impervious to it, I think. And, and then, then it happens and she comes to that, you know, realization that, you know, she, she, she is human and she does need companionship. And then she begins exploring in more seriousness, that part of her, you know, after this experience. So I think, that, I think it's interesting. It doesn't indeed move her character forward. Cool. Let's do six degrees for one. Steve has one. Uh, oh gosh. Steve went, f- no, Adam went first last time. You going first or second, Steve? Oh, first. Wade Andrew Williams plays what was his alien's name? Tregi Loter, yeah, something of that. Nature. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the alien apparently only that apparently only exists in Seven's mind. In Enterprise, he played the Malorian named Garros, where Enterprise finds an Earth-like planet, and some of the locals turn out to be sick because of some shady crap Garros is doing. This episode was called Civilization. What season was that? Mm, was it first? Yeah, good one. Adam, this episode is very similar to an Enterprise episode called Doctor's Orders, where Dr. Phlox must take control of Enterprise by himself and pilot it through a nebula. What season was that? Crap, I did the first one. I don't know this one. Um, well, it, it's I not the same four. as... One out of four, right? Um, well, it's not the same as Steve's. <laughs> so, one out of three. Um, I am going to say, I'm going to say season four. No. Um, no points, Steve. What would you guess? Mm, two. No, that's just a tricky one. Huh? <laughs> it actually is the Zindi. It's this part of the okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was season three. Uh, all right, Steve has two. Moving on. Hope and Fear, Season 4, Episode 26, Production Code 194, Original Air Date May 20th, 1998, Directed by Winrick Colby, Story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Joe Minoski, Teleplay by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast include Ray Wise as Arturus and Jack Shearer as Admiral Hayes. Janeway continues to struggle in decrypting an encrypted Starfleet message that they previously obtained through the Herosian relay system. Arturus, who Neelix found in a trading deal, a master decryptor, helps Janeway decrypt the Starfleet message. When they find out what it says, it sets up a nearby coordinates with means of getting back home. Voyager arrives to find an unmanned Starfleet vessel, the NX Dauntless, of unknown design. Aboard, they find the ship uses quantum slipstream technology, which will allow them to arrive back in the Alpha Quadrant within a few months. I'll be damned that they came through. Duvak. Hailing them. No response. Life signs. There is no organic matter of any kind. No sign of damage to the outer hull. Primary systems are online, including life support. Something must have happened to the crew. The answer is somewhere in that Starfleet transmission. We need to finish decoding it. May I call on your talents again? Of course. Take it away, team. Secure the vessel. Tom, Tuvok. You know, guys, I'm your podcast host, but sometimes that means I can't always be your friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aww.
my research on this episode, it seems like they thought more highly of it. I mean, the producers and stuff thought more highly of this episode than I did. It's also one of the few, if not the only time, other than obviously season one, that there it's not a season-ending cliffhanger. Uh, it's not a two-parter. It doesn't... It, it's, it's a little odd to end the season on this episode to me, because it feels... I don't know. It's fine. This episode's fine. I guess the bigness of it is just that opening, actually seeing some Starfleet stuff and thinking we're communicating with seeing we're finding getting the message and we see this ship we think is a Starfleet ship, but it's pretty immediate that Janeway says this is just all a little too perfect, you know, so. Well, the first problem I kind of had with it is so we come out of the out of our, our last episode one. Um, it's a pretty good episode for seven to nine where she's starting to fit in with the crew. And I think we had this early on in the season where we were like, Oh, you know, seven to nine's fitting in. She's, you know, and then the next episode it was like clash and, you know, she's going to leave the ship. And then they, they kind of go back to this back and forth here at the end of the season, which I kind of felt we were kind of past it, but obviously they decided to kind of go back to where Janeway and, and her are butting heads. And she's talking about leaving the ship. Um, so I don't know, just, I mean, you know, watching these, you know, in the, in the sets of three that we do, it just kind of, kind of just gave me an uneven feeling about after just watching the last episode where she was really, you know, especially the last scene where she's really starting to fit in and now, you know, she's kind of rebelling again. So I, that was my first kind of takeaway in the first five, 10 minutes of it. It's like, I really, we're going back here again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that either. It feels like it does, makes other episodes feel like they don't matter so much, you know, when, you know, they just like, Oh, we're, we're doing this again. They're at each other's throats and angry and she's wanting to leave and she doesn't fit it. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of tiresome, you know? Well, it was the, uh, one of those conversations between Janeway and seven. I mean, it was, it seemed like a good scene on paper, but the way it was directed and performed, it was so dark. It was so dark. Like way more than I feel like it should, it, need, it should be at this point. Yeah. Or was you talking about the scene where they're on astrometrics and she kind yeah. of refuses to yeah. help? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I, yeah. I'm, I remember this happening like two or three times already in this season. And I'm kind of like, it's like I said, I felt like we're, we're past this. And here we are again. You, you have any other initial thoughts there, Steve? Uh, oh, uh-huh. I said, Steve, look at that. <laughs> not my friend. Not my friend. Adam, go ahead, please. No, no, no. Okay, go ahead, Steve. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with what's been said here. I mean, I think I think it's it's not bad or anything. It's just that there are these these elements that make it feel like you know stuff we've kind of seen before or. Um, you, you, or you kind of know where it's going so early on, you know, and, and so it just feels kind of like a big, you know, it's actiony and okay, there's some, you know, excitement and stuff, but you know, the, the characters don't really go anywhere. And it, of course it's not a cliffhanger. And so it kind of feels in that sense, it feels a little bit, uh, uh, underwhelming for a season ending episode, I suppose. Um, I, you know, again, I, I like it fine. I just, I just think that, um, and I also think it focuses so much on a, a guest actor in a way, in one of these, it's not necessarily in a good way, but it also kind of like leaves him for a, a pretty large period of time too. It, 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 that, and that's kind of disjointed in a way when it kind of like, okay, he's there and the other suspicions. And now let's focus on Janeway and seven for a long period of time. And Oh, he's still here. And now let's focus on his motivations and whatnot. You know, I don't know. It's, there's something kind of 
Yeah, it's not structured terribly well. Yeah. Which I feel weird saying about a Brandon Braga kind of episode, but because if nothing else, I mean, he's usually, you know, he's kind of a writer's writer in that way. But no. Part, part of another thing, I kind of feel like as an audience, you know, let me know Janeway in the first half of the episode, she suspects something's up, but I kind of feel like as, as an audience, you know, okay, you, I, we already know they're not getting home. Um, they're not getting, you know, this, it, like you said, yeah. it's too good to be true. Um, and I don't know, like, I don't know. It was a little too much of a, of a um, suspension of disbelief for me to think that they, that this ship could be so Starfleet esque, you know, like Starfleet design, you know, all the technology in it, you know, because they'd obviously spent weeks in it, you know, testing it out. And it wasn't until the very end, you know, there was a little flicker of energy. I don't know. I, it just, like you said, yeah, it didn't flow well. And, but I don't, I didn't say this earlier. I like the episode. Maybe it would have fit better in the middle of a season. Didn't really feel like a season ender. I like the idea that there was a, some kind of a consequence for Janeway helping save the Borg. You know, there's there's a concept there that's kind of interesting. You know, and I, I do too, but I think maybe they could have gotten to that a lot sooner because, you know, we get to that in like basically the last five minutes of the, the episode. Yeah. Is it about anything? Well, obviously this character, you know, the character Arturos, you know, he's it's revenge, you know, he's, you know, you could throw in obsession, revenge. Um, um, those are definitely part of this episode. Um, you know, I obviously fear is early on in the episode. You know, Seven's afraid, you know, to integrate with um, human was society. There any, like, was there any hope as well, or was it? I don't know. I mean, I... <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I don't really think so. I mean, I, I mean just like fear. Entitled. Just fear. I mean, I guess you could say hope, but I mean, we all know they're not getting back. This is this isn't their ticket home. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to throw if you want to throw hope in there, Brian, you go right ahead because we're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I think there is a, this notion of revenge maybe revenge is futile i mean in a way i mean essentially there's there's is no justice really you know it is interesting that's the most interesting component really is the notion that there's a consequence to this decision she made you know and and if we're seeing this one consequence there's like probably many more consequences to the fact that they did what they did that she made that decision early on in the season and in that way this episode is kind of a nice book to the season in a way i mean that, that is that is good that is that kind of starts and ends with ends with the borg and that decision but um but yeah I, I think if anything it's it's the the idea that there there is really isn't it doesn't it doesn't all even out you know there's just no justice sometimes things happen and you know taking out revenge isn't isn't going to be the answer, you know, to go for revenge. You're not going to necessarily get what you get, what you need out of that. It's fun seeing Ray Wise. I like him. I always remember, I mean, he's probably most famous for Twin Peaks, but I, I like, I like Twin Peaks as much as the next guy, but I loved Ray Wise. I thought he was so, he was like my favorite thing. Yeah. Let's do six degrees for hope and fear. Steve has two. Uh, let's see. Steve. Yes. Veteran character actor Ray Wise plays Aturius, the alien that would really like Seven and Janeway to get assimilated. He played Liko in the Next Gen episode, Who Watches the Watchers? What was the Federation doing on planet Mintaka 3? Um, 
they were like observing you know, like in some kind of archaeological way or something sort of right yes uh, observing the pre-warp society yeah. the primitive society they were observing yes sir uh adam Jack Shearer play, returns as Admiral Hayes in Voyager's Mystery Message. Which feature did he play this same role? In which feature did he play this same role? Um, insurrection? No. Steve? Could you repeat the question one more time? Jack Shearer returns as Admiral Hayes in Voyager's Mystery Message. In which feature did he play this same role? Mm, first contact. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to mention the score because it's a painful one for Adam. Ouch. But I tell you what, I'll I'll be your friend again. So Okay, cool. Now I feel better. <laughs> so we did have um, the final episodes of Discovery Season 2 a couple weeks back. No spoilers, of course. You know, maybe it didn't end quite as fun to me as the first half of the season, but I still liked it way more than season one and uh the way they ended that episode the way they ended season two was certainly interesting and mm-hmm. makes me intrigued for season three mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i concur uh the other thing i'm going to mention again no spoilers on this either uh have you guys seen the What's it called? What We Left Behind, the DS9 doc? I have not. That Ira Bear? No. No. You know, it was uh, on Indiegogo a couple years back, you know, and Ira Bear shot interviews with almost everybody. And, you know, he's been working on this for a while. And they've got, they did the first like HD transfers for some DS9 footage, which is the main reason. I never, ever, ever do like Kickstarter kind of stuff. This is the only time I think I've ever done that. And I did chip in a couple of years ago just because the, just the idea that they would, we would finally get to see even a few minutes of DS9 in HD. That was worth it to me. <laughs> this is the only time I've ever done that. Anyway, they finally released it so we could watch it. And uh, they said, no spoilers, you know, just tell people that it's good and <laughs> go see it, but don't spoil anything. Which you think, how do you spoil a documentary? <laughs> but then you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. I can see why. There There are a couple of surprise things they do that are pretty fun. Hmm. So I won't spoil those things. Okay, cool. Um, but is it, um, where's it available at to watch? Right now, you can get tickets for, they're doing a screening, like a Fathom event screening in theaters okay. in mid-May. And then after that, I think it's one one night only. So if you want to see it on that big screen, you know, in a theater, look it up now because it's coming up pretty quick here. And then sometime this summer or fall, I think Shout Factory has picked it up for distribution. So Shout Factory is going to be releasing it. So you'll be able to see it this fall. But, uh, you know, the stuff that they've already talked publicly, publicly about, like transferring HD footage, the season eight writer's room where he got almost all the main writers back together and they broke the story for the um, first episode of a season eight, <laughs> just for fun people. They're not really doing this. Right. They've all, they've talked about that. All that stuff is in the doc. Right. So um, that was really great. Uh, that was really fun. They're like, Oh my God, I want to see this episode. Right, right. You know, and you also get like a real sense for, cause there are even times when you're like, well, uh, I don't know, like, well, you know, where are they going to go with this? That's all that interesting. And they, they find a spot 
and you're like, oh yeah, these were the amazing head writers of Deep Space Nine, like my favorite Star Trek show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course they do something amazing. They haven't talked about it for years and they get together and in one day. Hmm. Anyway, so that's really fun. Um, And then some, a couple of the the surprising kind of things are pretty cool. Cool. So I highly recommend it. Uh, I I mean, I would probably recommend even if somebody's only a casual Star Trek fan, I think there's probably interesting stuff in there, but certainly to any Star Trek fan and definitely to a DS9 fan. I mean, I'd say don't miss it. Um, I'm very glad that. Maybe maybe we should do a podcast on it. Revisit our DS9 days. (laughs) Uh, I did. I, I will say the other thing. I <laughs> it's so silly, but um, a lot of the backers' names are in the end credits, and it was it was fun to see my name in the <laughs> out of you know out of hundreds, if not thousands, of names. But it was fun to see my name in the credits. Cool, very cool. Yeah, it put a smile on my face. Anyway, uh, so what what we leave behind is called there is a one day fathom event in May, and I I'd, I'd recommend seeing it on a big screen. That is cool. how I watch it. Uh, all right. I want to say, Brian. So you know, you have no excuses. You should. You know, you said you watched um, Avengers three times last week. So that's a season of Orville right there. <laughs> so you have no excuse. You should start watching it because this last season was excellent. Um, Seth all right. Se- Orville season two finished, and uh, Adam Adam is singing the praises. So um, yeah, Seth MacFarlane's made a really good sci-fi show. All right. I I really I really will put it on my list. All right. For TV shows, it's not that long of a list. Uh, okay. We are going to be back in two weeks to discuss. Uh, we're going to start discussing Voyager's fifth season. I think we're just going to do the first two episodes of season five, uh, and then after that, we'll be back to our regular three. That way, we don't later in the season we we, we want to avoid breaking up a two-parter, and we want to end that end it clean. So we're going to start season five in two weeks with just the first two episodes. Wow, two hundred nineteen episodes in the can, folks. Thank you for spending an hour with us. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Our Facebook listener fa- page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. Stefan, I passed it.